All right, well, we're about to wrap up uh, our afternoon with our final session, which is the Q&A session. So hopefully you've had time to get those questions in. And I want to invite up at this time, Pastor Mark and Dr. Yuan. Well, let me just thank you all for taking the time to submit your questions. Uh, I'm going to do the best I can to go through as many of those or of these as, as we can in the time that we have. Um, so I have the easy job of asking the questions, and you have the hard job of you providing can answer the answers. You want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of afraid of you throwing the question back. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But some of these uh, are. are are really um, difficult uh, questions to uh, to provide answers for, and um, again, I appreciate you all, all taking the time to submit them. So I want to get right into uh, right into it for the time that we have. Um, so uh, the first question I want to ask, uh, Dr. Yuan, is um, how do you find the line between showing love and grace and uh, love grace and approving uh, their sin? Um, and the uh, LGBTQ lifestyle. Uh, some examples would be like going to a gay friend's wedding, uh, letting lesbian family members stay at our house, things like that. How do you, how do you find the line between uh, showing love and grace and then it moving into condoning or approving their sin? I think it's wanting to put it in the context of um, that this is not a particular sin, but this is just related to our human brokenness. So like if having um, a family member who's lesbian or gay uh, staying in our home, um, you know, it's asking the question and being consistent. Um, because remember, the problem is not, the biggest problem is not that they are lesbian or gay. The biggest problem is their need to know Jesus. So do we have unbelievers stay in our home? I mean, maybe you need, if, if you won't hear, then let's be consistent across the board. But I'm assuming we would have unbelievers in our home, but we would request if we have an unbelieving relative that come in our home, that they would abstain from behavior that doesn't that we wouldn't approve of so for example like if we wouldn't want them to do drugs in our house or whatever it is um and in this situation with a lesbian loved one um i would say definitely allow them to come and stay now where i would kind of draw the full of grace and full of truth is if they have a partner, I would also invite the partner to come and have dinner and stay. It would, I would just put them in two separate bedrooms. That would be the, the distinction that I would make. And, you know, if they, you know, would prefer, they could themselves, you know, stay in the hotel. But at least for my home, um, I would be consistent, just as if I had a daughter that wasn't, you know, walking with the Lord, she had a boyfriend and they're living together, I would still invite them over, even possibly for holidays. I just would, and they wanted to stay over, I would put them, give them two separate rooms. Even though they live on their own together, in my house they would uh, live or have two separate rooms. Now, weddings. 
Again, I want to go to Scripture. Scripture uh, begins with a wedding in Genesis 2. It ends with a wedding in Revelation 19. Uh, Jesus' first miracle is at the wedding at Cana. Um, marriage is a metaphor in the Old Testament of Jehovah God being faithful to an uh, unfaithful wife. Israel, and then the New Testament, we have Christ being the bridegroom, and Jesus, and, and the body of Christ being the um, the bride. So we have this wonderful analogy of all marriages actually pointing to, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, the ultimate reality of Christ in the church. So we see that there's a lot of emphasis on marriage, and I don't want to trivialize anything that God doesn't trivialize. So I would have a difficult time to actually go to a ceremony um, that is intended to represent something that God would bless, and I know that God doesn't. And specifically, I think attending a wedding, we need to think about what's the purpose of attending a wedding? Is it just to be there just to kind of witness it? Or is being present for a wedding for, I see it as me being present and being part of the people that's going to help hold them to their vows. More and more, we need to fight for marriages. And are we coming alongside people to actually fight for their marriages? But if this is not a marriage that is blessed by God, I can't, I'm not able to actually help them to hold fast to their vows because I know that that is not pleasing to the Lord. So I would not be able to be a part of that ceremony. However, I think there might be other activities you could be present for. Maybe the, if you're part of the family, you know, the, you know, the um, uh, what is it, the, the, the day before the um, rehearsal dinner or whatever, those type of things. And oftentimes, if it's, you know, your own family, they have reunions and stuff, and those could be activities that you're there for. I would get them gifts. Um, notice I'm not saying a gift. If you get the one gift, that's for the couple, but if you get them individual gifts, you're kind of affirming the individual as opposed to the, the couple. And I think that's okay. Get them something that is significant, that communicates, you know, something full of grace, full of truth. Get them my book. Maybe they'll read it. You know, I mean, God, <laughs> God could use it. You never know. <laughs> Would you say that on that issue, as far as Christians dealing with other Christians who are dealing with issues like that, that there should be latitude in how... Christians expect other believers to handle situations like that? In other words, um, knowing that this exists among the body, yep. not every person is going to handle every situation sure. the same, yes. but there sometimes can be an expectation from one to another that this is how I handled it, this is how you... I mean, I, I think it's being prayerful with that person to, to know, am I communicating something that's full of grace and full of truth. So it's, it's being, um, we want to be able to be as Christ was, you know, um, John 1, 14, full of grace, full of truth. I think oftentimes we just limit as all or none. And I think there's more options than that. Then a lot of times people don't think about, oh, well, it doesn't have to be all or none. There could be, you know, I mean, the ceremony is just two hours. It's such a small limit that there's other things that, that, that you can be there present for. Because what we want to do is be able to clearly communicate not only to the one that we love, but also to others, you know, that this is, um, you know, can we be 
full of grace, full of truth, and, and be able to communicate that. Oh, the uh, next, next question is, why are so many uh, Christians uh, slash uh, churches becoming, uh, seemingly becoming more okay with affirming uh, LGBTQ? Um, can you help us understand why Christians uh, slash churches are uh, caving um, on these issues? And I, and I guess that would kind of be along the lines of a lot now in the evangelical community seemingly affirming gay Christian, mm -hmm. which kind of goes to some of what you spoke about and also some of the uh, principles you gave about how to address that uh, could be difficult if they have somehow assumed that they can be a part of the body of Christ and still uh, live with, uh, with these desires and potentially even give in to them. Yeah, I think ultimately, and so uh, and these might have been terms that many of you aren't necessarily familiar with. I mentioned something called Side B, Gay Christianity. This came out of this movement when Exodus was around. If you're familiar with Exodus, that was a former organization, a Christian organization that then was this emphasis on you need to kind of turn straight, get married, and people are like, no, that's not who I am. I am gay. But then there are people that like, well, but I think gay marriage is okay. That's called Side A, Gay Christianity. But then there's the other side that were like, no, I am gay, but gay marriage is not okay. I just need to be celibate. And that's called side B gay Christianity. I'm neither. I'm not side A, side B. I'm just a Christian. Like I don't need to, and I don't identify as gay. I might experience same such attractions, but along, that's one in my list of temptations that I have to fight daily. It's just, that's only one. And I have a lot of other things. We could have a whole few more conferences if we want to talk about my other sins, but you might not be as interest, interested in those. Um, but uh, I think, so side A is, you know, gay Christian. So there's, there, there are actually churches that are, that I'm not talking about mainline denominations. There are now evangelical churches that are now really, really shifting a lot in their view that actually are saying, no, gay marriage is okay. Or there's even this kind of uh, movement now that are saying, well, you know, we, we can just be agree to disagree, that there can be people that like say no gay marriage is okay but some people that say gay marriage is not okay the issue that i have is no statement is a statement when we say you know you can have you can view murder as a sin and you can view murder as not a sin i don't think that that's how god intended the church to live when it comes to sin see we confuse that you know there are issues that we can agree to disagree on whether it's baptism or whether it's spiritual gifts or whether it's i mean the list goes on even you know women in leadership these the list can go on none of those relate to sinful behavior None of those do. There's scripture. I think there are things where we go by our convictions, etc. Like, like Paul talked about in Romans 13. But Paul was not talking about sinful behavior. When we're talking about especially sexual sin, the Bible consistently through the old on the way to the new has been consistent about sexual immorality. There is no wiggle room when it comes to that. And so when today, when we're trying to kind of find, oh, we need to agree to disagree, that's going completely contrary to all the prophets and all the New Testament writers regarding to that. And so what we find is, I think a lot of that comes from this desire to be loving. And that confuses that the goal is 
that the end goal is loving. And that makes love wrongly an end in itself. Love should be a means to an end, and that means is love, but that end is Christ. But also, I think, of all the denominations and pastors and churches that have shifted in their view, I think it really comes down to the authority of, uh, of, the authority of Scripture every single time. That the authority of Scripture is no longer inerrant, perfect, with infallible, but it's pretty good, mostly good. In the Old Testament, I mean, we don't follow that at all anymore, even though we forget that the greatest commandment is from the Old Testament and the second commandment is from the Old Testament and the New Testament writers constantly quoted from the Old Testament. But then now we're talking about the side B gay Christianity. And I think, again, it is this emphasis on trying to be loving to the marginalized. And I think it's pulling a lot from what we see today of this desire or actually this temptation to view everything through the lens of oppression. That somehow you are either a victim or an oppressor. And when we see it through that lens, our desire is to care for the the, the victim. And that's not a bad thing, but then when we're using the wrong framework of just showing love, as if we are the ones that can help someone, we're showing the love and helping them, that really leaves Christ out of the equation. We all, if anyone could claim victim status, it would be Jesus. Do you ever see anywhere in the New Testament after, you know, in the Gospels or afterward that Jesus ever cried out, I'm a victim, stop oppressing me? Never. What did he do? He rose victorious. And in Christ, as those who might be marginalized, we too can raise in Christ with him. And so that's what I think um, is often lacking in many of these approaches. They're trying to be loving and compassionate, but it leaves Christ off the cross. Try to have a quick follow-up to that. Um, Would you say that this movement, because it seems like this is something within the last two to three years Mm. that seems to be growing. So first of all, would you say that that's growing in terms of the evangelical community kind of moving in this direction. And then the second part is what impact do you see that having, having just on the church in general or specifically our witness specifically in this, uh, in this regard, like this particular topic? Yeah, I do see it grow. I'm kind of a pessimist. Or my dad and mom called me a pessimist, and I'm like, I'm a realist. Um, but I, I do kind of see it growing, and, and what I see is um, we're just repeating history. We're following the same patterns that the mainline denominations followed 50 years ago or 60, 70 years ago, and so it's just repeating again. And I do see that the trajectory of many of these, I think evangelical is not going to mean much anymore. Um, and the, the churches are going to kind of start walking away from the authority of scripture. We even see pastors that, that were known to be kind of evangelical, kind of just, you know, strong evangelical pastors that are just saying, well, the Old Testament, you know, it's, 
It's, uh, you know, it, it begins with these small steps, and it's the same small steps that the mainline denominations took years ago, and that trajectory has taken that. So I see that as, you know, kind of another means for a remnant, and, um, you know, just hopefully I just pray by God's grace that we'll be faithful. Um, another question is, how do we as Christians start conversations about these topics without being uh, canceled or being considered offensive just right off the bat? Like, how do you actually kind of get these things started? Um, this might be similar to that first question, but maybe more just along the lines of how, how do you kind of get this uh, initiated without the immediate just being canceled or branded some sort of label? Well, I, I often see um, it is people are initiating it with us more often than not. They find out you're a Christian. I think, I, I think there isn't a need to kind of press it. I think we need to live um, fearlessly about our faith in Christ, that I am a Christian. And that means, you know, um, that Christ is highly important in my life um, and just emphasize that. Now, I think then people are going to ask, oh, well, what do you think about that? Um, I see all those opportunities as a great opportunity, as a segue to share the gospel. They might ask about sexuality or whatever it is. Bring it to the gospel, let me tell you what I believe. Oh, you, you, you know, oh, you mentioned, do you think this is, you know, you know, are people going to hell or about sin? Well, let me tell you what I believe about humanity. Number one, we're all created in God's image. Start there. That's a good place to start. All human beings are created in God's image. But we're also imperfect. Don't use the word sin because the world doesn't understand what that means. We're not perfect. And then Jesus Christ came. And he loves the world. Can I tell you more about Jesus Christ? Like, focus on that. Um, because when you focus upon those gospel truths and just keep, they're going to want to kind of distract and go, to, you know, derail and go somewhere else. But focus on those truths. Um, that's what is, what is most important. I, I'm, I, I almost wonder if a person is not able to understand. You need the mind of Christ to understand these truths, some of these truths about biblical sexuality. And then, so we need to keep bringing it back to that and, and hopefully pointing people to God and his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it seems like some of those um, conversations are happening that you mentioned with um, those who may already consider themselves to be Christians, mm. and so their now their response is, "I already am. I just don't have to necessarily give this up to mm -hmm. to have your version or your brand right. of Christianity." Would you say that that's a uh, the result of just a misunderstanding of sin? Yeah, and and I would say, what is your understanding of the gospel? You know, is and, and oftentimes in those situations, it's you know, it's it's a little bit of a misunderstanding of do good, be good, help the marginalized, you know, feed the feed the feed the poor, care for the sick. Definitely things that Jesus did, but that feeding the poor and 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 caring for the sick, if that was the gospel, Jesus did not need to die on the cross. And so that's a question: Why did Jesus need to die on the cross? Um, and uh, uh, 
but sometimes it's not even the need to do that. Sometimes you could, if they say they're a Christian, um, and, and maybe you've had all these conversations and it's kind of just getting nowhere and they're still, you know, kind of still living in that way, um, you can use a little bit of reverse psychology. Instead of saying, hey, are you reading the Bible? That's not, no one likes to be told that or asked that. Use reverse psychology and kind of say, hey, um, what is God teaching you this week out of Scripture? What, what's, what Bible verse are you meditating on this week? Um, what, what is God teaching you this month? And uh, being more in reverse psychology in the sense of instead of being kind of a negative, being positive. Because I think that probably in most situations, they're not in God's word. But the more that we can encourage people to be in God's word, the Holy Spirit then has more substance to work with. Um, and, and maybe let's, let's study Philippians together. And um, go through ground, uh, pointing people back to God's word and just waiting for the Holy Spirit to work. Well, um, unfortunately, that time flew by because it's already seven o'clock. Um, uh, so that was a really quick uh, 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to uh, ask uh, or give uh, Christopher the opportunity to make his way over to his uh, table with uh, Angela. And uh, he will be there and available to talk with. And also you can go visit and um, say hello to him, purchase any materials that you would like. And I'm now going to turn it over to Sarah. She has a couple of things she wants to mention to you.